0: Hello. Welcome back to The New Books Network. I am your host, Mikhail Carter. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Aria Halliday, author of the book, By Black, How Black Women Transformed U.S. Pop Culture Performance, published with the University of Illinois Press. Welcome, Dr. Halliday. It's great to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Major
0: fan of the network. Yay. Perfect. So um, I guess we'll just go ahead and kick things and go straight into it. Um, so could you talk about um, how did your childhood influence your,
1: your work? Um. Uh, so I I mentioned this at, in the kind of preface of the book, but I've said it in other places too. That you know I was raised by like now I would consider her a hardcore black feminist in a black feminist space with black sisters and black aunties and all this other stuff. But at the time, my mom would say she was just doing it the best that she could. Um. And so, um, my family is from the U.S. and British Virgin Islands. And so we have really strong, you know, connections to culture, really strong um, uh, ways that we interact with people. Um, But then I also grew up in North Carolina, right? The Black South has its own kind of, Uh, aesthetic, if you will, about how we do blackness. And so growing up with those two things happening together every day, right? I go to school and I'm interacting with people and we black South and I go home, we black Caribbean and those things are happening together. Um, You know, the way that I approach and see, you know, things like sex and sexuality, you know, I write about twerking in other places. Um, and what we do with our bodies and how Black girls are kind of uh, socialized to believe certain things about our bodies, right? It's all kind of situated within both that Black Caribbean context and that Black Southern context. Um, And I talk about at the beginning of the book that my mom enrolled me in this after school, well, it started as after school, but enrichment program called Sister Friends. And it was run by, again, a Black Southern woman, um, Cherie Rainbow. And Sister Rainbow was... um, still is i mean just like she emanates sunshine she's like one of those people that like you know she walks into a room and you're like oh my gosh like i have to know her i have to understand everything about that but that and that's really the energy that she brought to sister friends as director and she you know handpicked every single um adult woman we call them um Sister, whoever. So there, all every other sister who was there was also kind of emanating that kind of like beauty and elegance and just like attention to blackness and everything that they did. It was like Andy Irie and um, Jill Scott and Erykah Badu like on steroids, right? Like it was all of that, like in one place. And so, um, you know, some of those people, you know, are you know, I, one of my homegirls from that group, you know, just defended. Um, her dissertation. Another one is a law professor. Like all of us, you know, continue to use Sister Friends as a way that we kind of see and interact with the world. And it has greatly impacted, I think, the way that we understand ourselves as Black women. Um, And of course, everything that I write is about Black women. So I would say like Sister Friends made everything happen in that way.
0: For sure. Yeah. And I love reading um, about Sister Friends. Like just... Black everything, so I love it. Um, so that brings us to our next um, to the next question: In what ways are Black women culture producers? How are they um, def- confined by certain things, such as like white gays?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. In all the ways, like we say, especially on you know Black Twitter and, and various conversations, that like you know Black people make them move the world forward, right? Like anything that we do in our small little pockets of culture, you know, become the vanguard for everybody else, right? And so, in a lot of ways, I think you know Black women have been the. Um, the unspoken in some places, but invisible in other places, impetus for a lot of things, right? There are a lot of ways when you talk about even like the advent of hip hop where black women have been in those spaces, you know, creating the opportunity for these really popular black men um, to make things happen. And, Um, A lot of the ways that I think about cultural production is, you know, everything that we see and touch is culture, right? Everything that we attach ourselves to and consider to be a part of, like, who we are and what we love, like, that's culture. And I think Black women, in a lot of ways I talk about in the book, Black women have been integral to every single thing that we see and touch and love. Um, and the things that, you know, do well, you know, those. that's because Black women also um, push those things as consumers, right? And so we literally set the pace. Like now, for example, everything is shea butter lotion. No one knew what shea butter was 10 years ago, right? But it was Black women in those natural hair spaces and those natural product spaces who made shea butter something that everybody knows is true, or tea tree oil, or aloe vera, or whatever it is, right? It's, it was us really setting that pace and saying this is something that we want in our products, but then it becomes like a mass market thing that everybody wants shea butter to make their skin smooth.
0: Right, for sure. And so in your book, you talk about the rise of uh, multicultural marketing. Could you talk about this and um, the, possi- the possible positives and also maybe downfalls of visibility within the
1: market? Yeah, I mean, I think that connects to the second part of your question I didn't answer, which is about the white gaze and how, you know, of course, because we are, you know, within American culture, everything that we create has the opportunity to be commandeered. I'll use that word, commandeered in terms of, you know, mass cultural usage. Right. And so I think in that way. Um, you know, when Black women decide they want to do something, we create a push around it. There's Essence Fest, there, right? There's there's Afro. uh, I don't even remember all the there's Afro tech and Afro. There's all kinds of Afro things, right? So in a lot of ways, it's like you know, Black people and Black women especially create these spaces where we can have conversations, we can cultivate those. Um, developments, if you will, in the stuff that we want in our own cultural products and other people see like, oh, this is making money or, you know, or we go to them and say, hey, I need two billion dollars to make this product really happen the way I want it to, which is what happens with Carol's Daughters. And I talk about in the beginning of the book, and it really changes that relationship between like black women talking to black women in a black woman's space. Right. Versus being like, OK, I need two billion dollars from this corporation. What can I do to make it happen? Because it goes, as I talk about, um, it goes from being you know, a conversation and a relationship between Black women, you know, creating and speaking to themselves to, you know, there there are other people in, you know, at the cookout, right? There are other people in the conversation. And that changes the way that we see and understand, like, the product that we're getting, but also how it's marketed, who it's marketed to, and the particular places that those things show up. For
0: sure. Yeah, thank you for that. And so um, how are Black women cultural producers depicting authentic representations of Blackness?
1: Oh, so this might get me in trouble, but I don't think there's such a thing as authentic Blackness, right? Um, There are a lot of ways that um, our culture and what we see is our culture is shaped by a lot of different things. Um, And so, like, I think about, like, Shantae Small's book um, that talks about, like, the queerness in hip-hop and how that's always been there since the beginning, right? But the way that we write the narrative of hip-hop is this hyper-masculine space that, like, you know, there aren't any women, there aren't any gay people, there aren't any trans people. And it's like, well, no, if you go back and look at what the history says and what's actually happening in those spaces, we are all influencing the way that the culture happens. And so I think um, in the same way, like, I don't know. Black 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 women. <laughs> I'm trying to be trying to be nice. <laughs> um black women have been creating things, but we also pull from a lot of different cultures. We do research. We go to, you know, the continent. We go to Europe. We go to Asia. We find different things that, you know, inspire us or speak to us. And that is what, you know, because we've touched it, it then becomes this like black product. But that doesn't mean it's authentically Black and there really isn't an authentic Black thing to go to or build from. You know, Africa, I mean, a lot of people are like, the continent of Africa, we got to go back to the continent. And I'm like, the continent has continued to change. or The con- the continent has continued to move and shake and, and whatever. So there isn't a Africa to go back to in that sense, right? And that also means that our own uh, kind of understandings of, like, Africa in the present are really antiquated and based on the ways that the white gaze has, like, pitted Africa towards us. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I struggle. I kind of get to this at the end of the book that there's no such thing as authentic, authentic blackness. And we need to step away from this idea that pop culture is going to give it to us because one pop culture, you know, in this most general sense is for everybody. It's a popular culture. It's a cultural artifact that everyone is involved in, that everyone can have, everyone can be attached to. And so it's not going to represent all of us and all of our diversity and all the contextualization that we have, wherever we grew up and where we, like, I mean, I know people who grew up in the same town where I grew up in and they're different people, right? And so like, there are a lot of ways that culture is just not going to do that for us and we have to stop expecting that it will or that there's such a thing called authentic, right? Like, I mean, even, you know, people go and like, oh, this is an authentic restaurant. There's no such thing there's no such thing there's no
0: such thing thank you so much and so i'm going to say like while i was reading a book it was a lot of like i was talking to my husband like these are bars like look at let me read this to you like every like every 5 minutes it was something else so i was just like ooh ooh but okay let's move on to <laughs> move on to the next question um so what is um the embodiment of Embodiment objectification. So, how do you define that? And then, also, in what ways do Black cultural producers use embodiment objectification to create ideological relationships between themselves and consumers?
1: Right. So, um, I I build embodied objectification from two really key scholars. And so, one of them is Yuri McMillan in his book, um, Embodied Avatars. And he talks about how Black women on stage, you know, create these. Um, avatars or, you know, representations of themselves. So when you see Nicki Minaj or Beyonce on stage, you're not getting Beyonce knows Carter. You're not getting Onika Mirage, right? You're getting the performance, um, the avatar. And so, um, and then Britney Cooper talks about... Um, Her book, Beyond Respectability, I was like, this is coming to me. Her book, um, she talks about how Anna Julia Cooper at the turn of the 20th century is talking about what it means to um, create embody, you know, you how Black women um, like Anna Julia Cooper are using their bodies to say, like, you know, when we're talking about what's different about the world, we need to also incorporate our bodies. Like, that changes the space, right? When a Black woman walks into a room, the thing is different, right? And so I thought about how those things happen together, that both you know, putting oneself on a stage is a type of objectification, right? It's a type of putting yourself on display for other people, but it's also embodied, right? And so thinking about the kind of products that Black women create for other black women, it is, you know, I want like Carol's daughters, for example, I talk about this in the book. The The uh, creator's name is Lisa Price, but she is literally the daughter of Carol. Right. And so by creating a product that's Carol's daughter, which is both her and anyone else who uses the product, we then are kind of. Um, inculcated into this relationship or added to this relationship that she has with her mother, but also makes us remember the relationship that we have with our mother sitting between her legs or our grandmother's legs, braiding our hair or doing whatever, especially when we're young, right? And so there are a lot of products where Black women are specifically thinking about their conversations with their homegirls, you know, their, their aunties, the way that their mother does something, right? And they then incorporate that into what they then create for the market. And so it's a type of distillation of black culture of black women's experience that then then gets used to sell to other black women right because we know when you see carol's daughter you're gonna know exactly what i'm talking about when i say it or when i say you know shea butter baby you're gonna know exactly what i'm talking about when i say it and so like that relationship um was not necessarily one that you'll say, okay, yeah, I know Lisa Price and me and her are besties, but you'll say, like, I know exactly what she means when she says that, right? There's this particular language, if you will, a particular um, aesthetic that Black women have towards each other, and that's really what embodied objectification is about. Like, once it goes from, you know, I see you, Black girl, and this is what's going on, it, it goes to be, being a product. And what does it mean to identify with a product? Because it has that I see you, Black girl kind of aesthetic to it.
0: Nice. And so that kind of goes directly into this next question. So how are these products and representations, how are they connected to uh, black respectability? And you talk about this like within your book. So,
1: yeah. So, girl, you asking these questions. So (laughs) I think so. Um, we always, right, always, right, from the advent of um the triangle slave trade and moving, you know, black bodies around, we've always been thinking about the ways to represent ourselves because it's dangerous in some places, right? To be who we are. Right. So respectability, and this is completely and totally Britney Cooper. This is not me. Go read her book Beyond Respectability, right? Um Brittany Cooper talks about how respectability was not just this thing that like constrains black women, but it was also a way that like made us safe, right? It made it a possibility for us to live the lives that we wanted to live and make moves the way that we wanted to. Um, and so, uh, I think about like respectability and cultural production and that. Like, Black women are also thinking about, like, yeah, I want to sell to the Black girl over there and the things that she wants, but I also know that the market is not closed, right? So you might create you know, uh, a clothing line that specifically speaks to black women and our experience and our bodies and whatever. And as soon as someone else, as soon as it goes up on the website, I should say, right. As soon as it goes up on the website, someone else might access it and be like, oh yeah, you speaking to me too. And that may not be who you're speaking to. Right. And so respectability is always tied to that relationship because of the ways that we, our bodies, especially have been, um, chattel have been used for other people's financial means um, and or used against us right? as reasons for why violence and other experience, negative experiences happen to us. Um, and so respectability is always part of it. But I want to be clear that it's not necessarily a negative thing, that respectability has also kept us safe. It also has created opportunities for us to have particular conversations between each other that have been helpful for all of us to move forward. And so I think respectability gets a bad rap. But ultimately, if you really study up on the kind of the history of respectability um In those conversations, you'll see that, like, respectability has been a survival strategy, right? It's been a tactic specifically for Black women to navigate a world that is not safe for us.
0: For sure. Perfect. And so um, how did you define in your book Black Symbolic Power? And then also how is this uh, power commodified?
1: Yeah, so I talk about um, I, I use a little bit of um, Pierre um, Bourdieu, and I talk about when like, he talks about symbolic power and the and the power that um, that any material object, any symbol can have in our culture, right? When when you don't even have to put Nike under it, when there's a swoosh, you know it's Nike, right? When there isn't another way that that can be misconstrued, it's always Nike, just like the golden arches or whatever, right? Um, it's always construed a particular way. And so it has a particular power, a resonance, if you will, um, across space and time. In the same way, uh, I argue that Blackness and Black objects have that same thing. They're... There's no place, I don't think, where you could put an Afro pic and people not assume that you're talking about Black people, right? There's not a place, like even I said shea butter earlier, there's not a place that you could put shea butter and you not like think about Black people or the continent or whatever, right? So there's a lot of ways these kind of resonances um, are... Showing up in pop culture over and over and over again. For example, like Beyonce's Super Bowl halftime performance where she has on a black beret and isn't an all black. People automatically assume it's connected to the Black Panthers. And she hasn't said anything, right? And so there's a lot of ways this kind of cultural resonances pull across space and time. And that means a particular type of power, right? When um, someone puts it in a film or puts it in a, a an ad or something, you know exactly the type of cultural connection that they're pulling from to then make it happen. Um, and that's exactly what Black Symbolic Power is. And then, of, of course, you can imagine that that then gets pulled in a lot of different directions. I mean, even the example that I gave about Beyonce is a type of appropriation of that Um cultural aesthetic. Like, I mean, she's not a Black Panther. She doesn't do, you know, she's not she's not doing those particular things in that particular moment. So picking up and using it is a type of appropriation for her own purpose. I mean, she made money from the show. Um, and so, like, that, there is, you know, not only the symbolic power, so you'll see that that cultural connection, but also that you're going to get paid from what that cultural connection might mean, right? People wanted to and attach themselves to that particular um image because we know where it came from and vice versa
0: look for sure and so could you talk about what are the limitations of representation and blacks symbolic public power in popular culture
1: well I, I mean i spoiled that a little bit already right yeah. <laughs> i said that you know there's no such thing as authenticity but i'll say that you know again like I talk about at the very end of the book in the conclusion the um, the the people in Congress who decided to wear kente cloth stoles right and Neil uh, and the rotunda right as a particular marker right speaking to. People who they know would see Kente and think, okay, Black people, we're thinking West Africa, we're thinking, you know, stoles that, you know, Black children use when they go from, you know, college, especially, and they're graduating into the world, Kente souls have a particular type of resonance, right? So if they're using it to mark, you know, the death of... Uh, a Black man, we're going to not only see the Kente and know what it is, but also what they're speaking to and speaking against in that particular moment without them having to say it. This is why some Black symbolic power is so important. Um, But that also means then it can, like the Kente, it can be picked up and used wherever it it wants to be used. Um, And then there's context collapse. So I talk about in a chapter about Nicki Minaj, how, you know, you create this product and it's specifically for a particular audience and then other people pick it up and use it however they want. And her interaction with Molly Cyrus, like the whole Molly Cyrus was good. Like it's a moment where she's like, okay, I created a thing and I put it on and you decided that you wanted to pull from it. And there's, there's a disconnect here. There's a problem here. Um, and I think that we see that over and over and over again in various places, right? I mean, there are a lot of people, I'm in Kentucky, so there are a lot of people who got heat for Jack Harlow. There's a lot of people who have love for Jack Harlow. Um, and I think it means a lot, right? I mean, you, this is the same conversation. You want to go back to Eminem too, right? That like, you know, what does it mean to have a Black cultural product like hip hop and it's supposed to be for Black people made by Black people? And one, the major listeners of hip hop are not Black people. The people right? Like statistically, the people who buy the albums, it's not us. Um, and then the people who are at the concerts, not us, right? The people who are saying the N word at the concerts is not us, right? Like what does it mean to create a cultural product where you're talking about black experience and other people identify with it or even want to use it to make themselves feel a particular type of way. Right. Um, I would say that that's, you know, um, That's ultra American. That's the way that we've done everything since the beginning of, you know, the United States of America, period, the colonies. Um, But I think that also means like, you know, black people have to distance themselves from this idea that like the thing that we create is always going to be for us. If you put it on the market, if it's something for other people to buy, you can't say that only black people can buy it. Like, that's just not a thing. And that also means you have to be open to the fact that other people are going to buy it and use it for whatever purpose they, they see fit. Um, And in the context of social media and memes and gifs and all of that, like it can be picked up and used wherever you like. Right. Like if you want to know more about that, I would say go read the Nicki Minaj chapter. But, you know, you can't control where the image or the product goes.
0: Look, this is all good stuff. You're hitting us with it today. okay? And so um, how do cultural producers work through embodying objects? objectification to present new possibilities for Black women while also playing into stereotypes and or negative tropes of Black women as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I talk about in the Cinderella chapter, for example, I'm talking about you know shout out to the 25th anniversary of the 1997 Cinderella with Whitney Houston and Brandy Norwood, uh, <laughs> or Princess and the Frog. Right? I talk about how like both of these particular events were supposed to be moments where Black women are like, you know, hey, we're changing the conversation. We're ta- We're going to change the way that we see Black women in a cultural space. But even doing that means that we have to align ourselves with particular ideas about who Black women are and what they should be, right? So, I mean, uh, a Black girl being mistreated by a white woman, which is what's happening in the 1997 Cinderella as her stepmother, I mean, that's not, that's not a new context. (laughs) um, Or even the idea that like, you know, a Black girl is going to get, you know, she's going to get chose, right? Picked up and saved by some dude and her life is going to change. I mean, that's, again, a conversation that we have all the time. Like, you just have to put yourself in a position to be chose, right? And then the world will change for you. Um, But I think as as we align ourselves with those kind of stereotypes and ideas, right, about Black women being hyper-industrious, you know, in Princess and the Frog, Tiana's working the whole time, even after she gets married, even after she's back to a human, she's still working. Like, what is that? No other princess is working. Like, so what does that mean? Right? But at the same time, they do have the possibility for us to think about different conversations, even attached to those stereotypes. So in Cinderella, like, um, Cinderella is literally about to leave the house like she's like I'm done with this I'm, I'm done thinking about you know what my stepmother wants me to do I'm, I'm trying I'm stop trying to please my dad who's passed right I'm going on the road and this is where she is interacting with the prince on the street right she's already walking um, and I think that that completely changes the way that we think about like you know a, a black girl wanting to be saved she was willing to save herself Right, she was willing to, to make things happen on her own, and I think that's even a conversation of a stereotype within black cultural spaces that we have too. Like, black girl, don't wait on a man to do whatever, like, you know, make your stuff happen, and if he wants to come, he'll show up, right? And I, so, I think it's interesting that a show, a movie like that, but also a, a, a bunch of different products, both use stereotypes, right? Black women is hyper industrious, black women's hardworking, they're doing this. the the manual labor that we need to do to move the world forward, but also that it's pulling on other kind of intracultural ideas that black women have about like what our world should really look like. And having Whitney Houston be this kind of mentor, but uh, like in real life, but also, you know, the fairy godmother for Brady Norwood's character, you know, is really creating that connection between generations that we get from our mothers or our aunties or our cousins Um, but also the conversations that we have with our homegirls too, right? And so it's really interesting, I think, that you get the stereotypes and you get the um, ideas that we have to align ourselves with in some ways to put our product on the market, but then you also get some of the other resonances that we put in there too that's like, okay, well, it's not going to be a regular Cinderella store. We're doing something else.
0: Right. And could you talk about in what ways have the desires of Black women consumers evolved?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's hard. So part of me would say they the same. <laughs> right? part, of it, part of it, I mean, ultimately is the same. they like, you know, we want to be beautiful. We want to be, you know, dressed down to the nines. We want to be, you know, presented in particular ways that, you know, represent our skin well, represent our bodies well, represent our culture well, represent our families well. Like that hasn't changed. Right. And I don't think it ever will change. Right. But, you know, how we get to um, those products, how we get to that environment, I think has changed. Right. There are a lot more people like yourself who are doing podcasts. There are a lot of people who are creating products, you know. For their bodies, for example, I mean, like the fact, like Lizzo, for example, right? She has a whole shaper line for big girls, because she's like none of this shaper for any for anybody. So I'm out to make my own, right? So, or you know, Megan Thee Stallion says that she wants to direct and produce movies. She's out here in movies like today, right? So I think the the <laughs> the desire and the evolution has changed in the fact that like Black women, especially in this moment, have the opportunity to do some different things. Um because of the networks, because of the work that um, a lot of the people I talk about in the book have have put in place for us. But I think at the heart of hearts, like we we are still, um, you know, we're still vain. (laughs) We we still want to look good. We still want to be considered smart and intelligent and beautiful. We still want to get this money, right? I mean, those things have not changed and I don't think they will. Um, but the ways that we get to those, like whether we need to work for ourselves, whether whether we need to collab with a homegirl, whether we need to, you know, work corporate, whether we need, right. There's a lot of other ways that I think that we, can see that happening versus maybe 50 years ago and what was possible for our, you know, our grandmothers or our mothers.
0: For sure. Thanks for that. And so we're getting down to our last few questions. And so um, what do you want readers to gain after reading your book?
1: Well, again, they're going to say like, she's harping on this point hard, but (laughs) authenticity is not going to save us. Right. Um, Pop culture is not going to save us. So, you know, the idea that, like, you know, we just need diversity for diversity's sake is never, ever going to be the result. Like, yes, I love and support Serena and Beyonce and Lizzo and Barack and Michelle and all of that. But, like, having having one individual or two or three individuals stand in for a community will never do the work that it's supposed to do. Right. And so we need to distance ourselves from the idea that representation is the only thing that we need. Right. We just need you know, more Kerry Washingtons, we just need more Viola Davises, we just need more Black Panther and we'll be fine. And I was like, no, we need the cultural products. That's important. It helps us imagine and think about other things. We need Amanda Gorman to give us the poetry, right? Um, But, you know, actually the work happens on the ground. The work happens in your communities. The work happens with how you vote. The, the work happens with how you spend your money. The work happens with you know, how you decide to present yourself aesthetically, like, all of those things matter, Um, and it can't only be that, you know, the cultural representation is going to do the work, because it it, it can't. And so, like, even as we... make ourselves attentive to the ways that we spend our dollars like okay i want to spend it at a local black place or i want to spend it at this you know particular global black company or whatever it is that that also means that we have to tie those things to other actions too it's not just how you spend your money but it's also how you spend your time where you put your intellect right who you connect with on a regular basis and where you put your time and energy too it's not just about money um and i think that comes through in the book i hope so
0: yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. And again, I love I really enjoy reading your book. Um, and so please let it let the audience know, Like, what are you working on next?
1: Oh, OK. <laughs> well, I'm working on a couple things. I mean, if you've followed anything that I've done, I spent a lot of time talking about the experiences of black girls. Um, and so I'm working on another book right now, um, and I'm not going to share a title, but I'm working on another book right now that's about, you know, how we see Black girls occurring in U.S. popular culture, because I think there are a lot of ways that, you know, this push for diverse representation has put Black girls in this crosshair. Like, yes, we see them, but the ways that we see them are not necessarily um, good, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be nice. Um, they're not necessarily good. And I think, you know, thinking about like Moya Bailey's Noir* and how, you know, the particular experiences of Black women um, have played out in popular culture, I think we need some space intellectually to think about what's really happening with Black girls. Um, and so I'm thankful for people like Ruth Nicole Brown and Monique Morris and others who have really... You know, dedicated time and energy in in their books to talk about Black girls, but I think culture is still a place that we need to to weigh in a little more. So that's what I'm working on.
0: Look, well, that sounds amazing, and it sounds like I'm I'm, I'm be very um interested, and hopefully we can have you back onto the show sometime Definitely. soon for sure. Well, it was amazing speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Awesome. So. Um, Until next time.